1: Right now in Fast, Bullying the Bears. The S&P closing above 4,300, ending the session at levels not seen since last April. The index now up over 12% this year as investors await key inflation data tomorrow in a Fed decision Wednesday. Plus, off target. Shares of the retail giant down over 20 percent in just the last month. Is the drop mainly due to the backlash and boycotts over its Pride Month promotions or fears about a slowing sales uh, target and sluggish, sluggish economy? And later, crude collapsing again to just over $67 a barrel. Tesla's winning streak reaches a dozen days and cruising to major gains as Wall Street says. Ahoy, matey. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live from the Nasdaq market site. Full House Tonight. I think I've never said that on no. the air before. Courtney Garcia, Karen Feynman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the new market milestone. The S&P 500 breaking past its August highs, closing at its best level since April of last year. The benchmark index now up 24% from its October intraday lows. You know what that means market the nasdaq seeing even bigger gains today rising more than one and a half percent the tech heavy composite of 28 percent, more than already on pace this year on pace for its best first half since 1983. meantime oil prices tumbling four and a half percent briefly trading below 67 dollars a barrel settling at its lowest price since march all of this ahead of tomorrow's cpi report and of course wednesday's fed decision so has a rally gone ahead of itself and will this week's data bring investors back down to earth. Guy, it seems like if you want to fight the market momentum, it's been a, a really Losers. tough battle here.
2: yeah, it's been here. futile, without question. I mean, fighting the Fed would have been being bullish, but that's actually being right, in considering things since December. Or so, so it, listen, it definitely leaves me scratching my head. Are the numbers important tomorrow? Yeah. You might get a revision from April, by the way, um, and we'll see what happens there. But are the numbers important? Absolutely. In terms of the rhetoric, though, I don't even know if it matters at this point what the Fed does You know, we're still going to try to feel the effects of 500 basis points of hikes. And that's been my problem all along. It's not necessarily the Fed's still in the picture or inflation's coming lower. We've all agreed that inflation is going lower. It's what is the impact of these rate hikes. And I don't think the market feels it. Certainly the economy doesn't feel it either.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, we could get the revision. We could get a number which Mm -hmm. makes the Fed not pause, which could be sort of the little tape bomb there. But if they don't pause here and they pause the next meeting, I mean, does that really make a difference?
3: No, I don't think it does, actually. I mean, they've already done so many hikes. And if we're talking about 25 basis points of movement, I don't think that really matters. I think it's going to be much more about the commentary and what data they're referring to that made them want to continue or want to pause. We'll see. We'll have some big data out between now and then. Mm Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that it really matters. As to this, this rally, I, I guess it's don't fight the Fed and that the Fed is probably over-ish, right, near the end. Right. And so the worst is behind you, I guess. But I was sort of surprised at the strength of this market today.
1: Yeah. There's still a lot of question marks about the consumer, though, and the consumer could uh, see a lot more pressure having to pay student loans every month. I mean, that's an additional pressure on top of uh, high interest rates.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's still a lot that's weighing on the markets right now. I do think that that's one of the items, which the consumer has continued to be pretty strong. They have been paying down their savings, so savings rates are not as high as they were previously. But the consumer's actually been holding in there a lot better than you've been realizing. And you're seeing that with a lot of your retailers. And you're, you're ultimately, I mean, unemployment is still record lows right now. You, you have the cash to be able to sustain this. And I think if that is able to continue, you could still see this soft landing down the line. I think that's really what the markets are starting to price in. But I think what we need to see, which we're starting to see, is a much larger breadth in the economy, or in, in the markets right now, where it's not just the top eight tech companies that are doing well. We're finally starting to see that, which I think is a good sign.
4: Yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, you know, small caps join the party, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that has to do with a lot of the pressure, I guess, at least in the near term being taken off some of these regional banks or some of these smaller um, banks. But, but I, you know, I look at this and I say, okay, the Fed, this is the rally, the breakout that we've had after we had that, like, surely tight consolidation over two months um, makes the, the Fed's job a lot harder, right? Because we haven't seen the housing market weaken that much. We talk about the consumer and, you know, to Courtney's point, I mean, the consumer's still there. Guy always says don't ever bet against their want to spend, that sort of thing. I mean, there's a lot of things in place here other than value Evaluations right now. So you say it's pricing in, you know, a soft landing. I, I actually think we're back to like no landing sort of scenarios. I don't really see anything weighing on the markets anywhere. OK, I see the 210 spread being weighed on. I see that at 85 basis points. I think that a lot of bulls as it relates to the stock market are explaining that away um, and what that means. And it's interesting that if the market is going to take a little bit more of a I don't know what you want to call it. Let's just say the CPI comes in at around 4 percent. Let's say we have um, what some percent as a dovish sort of uh, you know meeting
5: I don't I just don't
4: understand like if the stock market is gonna rally off that I don't know if that's a thing that you want to continue to buy now I've said that for weeks if not months right now um, but I just don't think it sets up as as a great scenario because any any hiccups in the economy and the market is easily priced for perfection and then all the weak hands that have come in doing the chase right here that kind of gets sold sort of first and then you could have this cascading effect of those eight big names that are all up 40 percent on average across the board that make up seven or eight twenty dollars in market cap. So I think the higher we go the more dangerous it becomes and the more complacency we see in things like the VIX and the move index. I
1: get every single point that you have made yeah. but at what point does somebody with a bearish narrative in yeah. the market switch gears and say you know what this is the market we have. It wants to go higher. It is going higher. We trade the market we have.
2: Right. And as I say it all the time, try not to be dogmatic. And I'm sure that people will say, well, you should practice what you preach because you're being exactly that. But I look at it and say, I understand the market's going higher, but I don't think the market's going higher because something has magically changed or the fundamentals have gotten better. This is completely sort of anecdotal. But CFO of Key Corp today, for example, it's a $10 billion regional bank. I mean, they talked about net interest income being softer moving forward. I mean, some of these regional banks are still have struggles. The stocks have rallied, which has dragged up the IWM, the Russell. So I think people believe it's an economy thing. It's more people trying to play catch up in these regional banks. So your question is exactly right. When do you admit or when do you acknowledge you're wrong? Or maybe the world's changed. I just think the only thing that's changed is price.
1: Is a belief in the AI super spend cycle, Karen, which you I, mean, I know.
3: Shockingly. A few things we're, believe right. in. Yes. Does that
1: change? Does that override some of the other concerns you might have about the markets?
3: Yes. Yes, it does. Now, look, if we have a really terrible market, NVIDIA is going to trade badly. Right. right? But I don't think that changes the fundamental story. I mean, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit, but we're seeing, you know, Oracle kind of supporting that story as well. Right. Yeah. How about you, Dan? I'm not
4: changing. I'm not leaving here, people. I mean, because here's the thing. Okay, if you're watching this program, it is called Fast Money and you're trading. I mean, I've been trading for 26 years. I changed my mind five times a day on different trades, on the direction of something like that. But when you're investing, I mean, like, listen, you had all the time in the world in April, in May to buy if you wanted to buy for a breakout. It wasn't a position that I took. It's not something that I believed in, okay? I did cover when we broke out of the index shorts because, again, the technicals were lining up pretty decently. Um, so to me, though, I just feel like if you're a long term investor, you know, and you heard me on plenty of times last year when things felt really bad, my view was dollar cost average into the NASDAQ 100. That's the thing that you want to own over the long term, in my opinion. And that has worked out pretty well. But the idea of chasing a market right now, given and everything that I think has the potential to go basically unhinged a little bit, like just... It wouldn't take too much, okay, for this to unwind. Because I don't agree with you. I mean, and I'm, you're right. You're long this stuff of whatever you think this upgrade cycle, this like, the, the, I don't agree that that's really a thing. I think that goes on in tech all the time. And today, this is the thing that's happened. It used to be metaverse. It used to be crypto. It used to be, I mean, game, the, the thing goes on and on and on. And so to me, I just don't think that's something you want to pin too much of a broader macro theme on right now. I think it's working right now and is dragging up the market because the biggest names in the market happen to be the ones that perceive benefits beneficiaries of it.
0: I think, though, what you want to look at, too, is historically speaking, when you've had like five companies outperform the markets like what's happening now, the broader markets actually tend to do very well. I think it's about an average of about 11 percent over the next 12 months, which means once the magnitude of these couple companies come down, the broader markets actually tend to perform well. And I think what you pointed out earlier is a really good point is the bears are still out there. There's been this huge wall of worry. And Bank of America just did a study. I think there's about six percent on average of cash in people's portfolio right now because they've been so nervous. And at some point, that's going to go in. There and it's just gonna push the markets higher. I just think you wanna be in the general
1: markets, not just those couple companies, which are overvalued. Unless it goes into CDs. That's my mm-hmm. question. Okay, here's a question yes. for you then, okay? For the next one year, would you put whatever amount, $1,000 into the S&P 500, or would you put it into a 4.5% CD?
0: What I would do is put it into the s and 500. But yes, most of my clients who have cash right now are looking at CDs and treasuries because you're getting like over 5% on those. I do agree that that is happening, especially from the retail investor standpoint.
2: She, she gets dispensation. Because if I had played that the way she you would have been right <laughs> on my grill. But when Courtney does, it's OK. She can change the rules of the game as she I sees fit. Yeah, I didn't even notice. Of course you didn't. Because you, you're honed in when I do it. But That's right. so it's all good when she I'm does. A repeat
1: it. violator over there. <laughs> um, our next guest believes retail investors should consider that are riding out the market momentum, Julian Emanuel is Evercore ISI's senior managing director. Julian, great to have you with us. Um, your price target is 44.50, so right, you just yep. raised it.
5: Yep. So yep. We're,
1: we're within striking distance.
5: We are, and we made the point, And look, I think we have to acknowledge this. This conversation uh, so far in the in the hour is that this is an unusual market, mm-hmm. a kind of market we have not actually seen since the late 1990s. Okay. This is momentum taking over. This is you know really uh, getting around the whole AI concept in an environment where positioning, and this is actually quite remarkable, when you think about CPI tomorrow as a risk point, and you think about the Fed, even though it's pretty clear that the Fed is likely to pause and then probably hike once more in July, and the markets bake that in. But to think that there are record net shorts in equities, record net shorts in bonds, Record "quote unquote" longs in cash, and volatility has dropped to near zero—the lowest levels of the pandemic. Those kind of imbalances tell you that, and we made this clear in our upgrade, that it could, the 44.50, could get here by the Fourth of July. Frankly, after today, we may not get there. We may get there before Father's Day, Uh, and and from our point of view, where the market goes from there is dependent on how close we perceive we're getting to the recession that we think happens at the end of this year and into early next year.
3: So, Julian, let me ask you, if we see a hot CPI number tomorrow, is that supportive of the market or is that a problem for the market?
5: Well, it, it shouldn't be supportive for the right. market in that theory, the question. but the market doesn't care about that right now. OK, so particularly since the, the basis effect is starting to hit. So the last year-on-year uh, year was 4.9. They're looking for 4.1 now. And frankly, if you if you look at consensus, it could go either way. But even if you were to come in a little hotter, 4.2 or 4.3, the bulls are going to say, "Okay, it's coming down. It's going the right way." And we believe that as well. We actually think that you could get a two-handle uh, on inflation by the time you get to early next year, which is clearly stock market supportive. But again the market is moving on things other than macro it's a lot of momentum very difficult market and big difference whether you're an institutional investor or retail investor the institutional investors who had you know pretty poor years last year it was a bear market as we know uh, and who are underperforming this year may be incurring business risk and have to participate in the upside whereas a retail investor we've had this conversation you're getting 5% on your cash. You don't have to do a darn thing. All right, nice job on your call, um,
4: but let me ask you this. Did the stock market at its lows in October, and it really meandered around for the, the Q4 a bit, You know, some of the biggest stocks in the NASDAQ were making lows, okay, 52-week lows in early January, right? And so we've had this big rip. Does the the pessimism that we saw late last year, okay, does it basically discount a recession? Because you think we're going to, you just said, you think we're going to be in a recession by the end of this year. Is that already discounted?
5: No, we we, we do not buy into that, okay, which is why, again, this is a time that's fraught with peril. Because the most important uh, statistic we saw was last Thursday the weekly jobless claim series broke out to the upside. If that continues, we will be much closer to the start of a recession than people commonly believe right now because they're being lulled by the market action into believing it's further off. That's the, that's the point to us where you will have maybe not all of the, of the indices making new lows, but you'll have a number of them feeling as if they're going to, and it's the, really the same effect. Choose 10s went from 110 basis points to
2: maybe 40-ish, back to 86 or so now, is that telling you anything, or should we not even be paying attention?
5: Uh, The noise around the yield curve is just monumental. From our point of view, we're working under the assumption that that uh, 111 under uh, was likely the trough of the inversion. Therefore, actually, if you look at history, starting the countdown to the recession, which gets you towards our view of late this year or early next. And the problem the market's having is there have been times when it happens concurrently, and there's a lot of things that say we should be in a recession already, but we're not. But then again, there's 1998 to 01, and it took almost three years for the recession to hit.
1: So if the October lows was not, you know, if they did not discount the recession scenario, then where do we go once we do see a recession or just prior to it? from your 4450. So
5: so we think, again, that there is likely to be a period of weakness that at a minimum will challenge the floor that we've seen for the most part of this last six or seven months below 4,000, probably 3,800 in the S&P. Wow. But, but it's think about it. Peril. I mean, but but it's, it's,
1: putting it politely.
5: That, that's not I mean, that's down 12, 13 percent from here uh, that that, you know, it, but it
1: sounds like you're talking about down 12 or 13 percent in a fairly short amount of time.
5: Uh, if the market gets carried away in terms of sentiment, we saw the bulls ratio breakout. We've seen volatility on the lows. That's where we worry about public getting bullish at 4,400, 45 or 4,600, mm-hmm. where they'd be better advised to start thinking about lightening up.
1: All right, Julian, great to see you as always. Thank you, Julian Emanuel. Courtney, in that scenario, I'm just curious, would you feel safer in big caps or smaller caps? more undervalued parts of the markets right now.
0: Yeah, we're actually definitely looking at small caps and mid caps, which are definitely a significant discount to the markets right now. And I do think you're starting to see those perform better. And I think you're going to continue to see that. So I would actually start to weigh a little bit more towards there, especially because when you look at the S P 100, those top eight companies now take up over 26% of the S P 100. So it's so concentrated right now. I think you want to start to look to other areas.
2: It's amazing. I mean, tactically, it's been an amazing call that Julian's had. So, I mean, it's effectively... His target is uh, we're here. He talked about the possible for momentum to continue, which makes sense. But he also outlines why you should be really worried about the back of this year. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. That's the difference. Like, I thought we'd right. be here a long time before. We're not. And maybe it's this lag effect or maybe it's all this money sloshing around. Courtney's saying... But it's something. Something doesn't really make sense to me right now. All
1: right. Let's get to a market alert here. Checkout shares of Tesla lock in a twelfth straight day of gains. That is the stock's longest winning streak on record. The EV maker shares up over 37 percent in that period, a whopping 145 percent since its January lows. I have to go to Dan. I'm, I don't mean to pick on you at all. Yeah, pick but this me. was TSLQ. That was your acronym because... Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
4: listen, out. I'll just say this, that in late April, after that quarter, which was not good by any means, and the guidance was not good. It wasn't just me. Now, granted, I wasn't selling it there after the fact. OK, there were some of the biggest bulls on the stock that were selling the stock. I, I, you know, the, the, so, so, you know, it wasn't great. So what's gone on right now from one hundred and fifty dollars to two hundred and fifty dollars in a month and a half is a mania. So if you want to buy into a mania, an $800 billion market cap mania that has declining fundamentals, have at it. You should go buy it right now because that's the market that we're in. You talk about trading the market you're in. That's it. Where things that um, are zeros, like a Carvana a month and a half ago was up 100% in a week. If that's how you want to invest in the casino, I mean the market, then you should go do that. But that's not what I do, and that's not what I'm going to do on this program. So, like, to me, I mean, this doesn't make any sense because the biggest bulls were selling it after that quarter. So um, you're not picking on me. I mean, you know, I I got enough of those problems in my own portfolio, but um, it doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: I mean, for a mania to happen in a market cap of this size is really remarkable. I mean, it's one thing to talk about a Carvana or an AMC or any of
3: these sort of meme names, but Tesla is a whole other ballgame, Karen. Yes, it is. It's. A, so, I mean, I don't know what this... this la- I mean, I guess you can point to a few specific things, but I don't even know if that's the reason why it's up, right? Some people really like this GM deal and Ford deal for, mm-hmm. you know, sharing charging. I, I don't know if that's it. I don't know if that Twitter's CEO turned Twitter. uh-huh. Exactly. That Twitter will no longer hope be his central job, I guess. There's that. I, I'm not even sure. I think it's just more this market melt-up. And this is... Very much in the story of what would be a market melt up kind of stuff.
2: Portability the Model Three, I think a lot of people are factoring in without question. But you know, you're gonna have margin margins are going to contract. I mean, Tesla told us that in the fall of last year when margins were probably in the low 20s. They said we're gonna margins will come down. We won't get to OEM legacy automakers levels, but it'll be somewhere in between where we are now and there, which is sixteen percent. Well we're probably high teens now. And at some point, they deserve a premium valuation. But if those margins continue to contract, what is that premium? I think that's the rub right now.
1: Right. Although it is considered an AI play as well. So it could be caught up in some of that hoopla in that sector. Coming up, we're watching Oracle After our Shares higher after reporting results. The details from that quarter next. Plus, JP Morgan reaching a settlement in one of the lawsuits related to Jeffrey Epstein. We got the details and the impact on the bank when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Oracle shares moving higher as the company beat on the top and the bottom lines. Frank Holland joins us now with a look at the quarter. Frank.
6: Hey Melissa, just listen to the call right now. Actually, shares move higher during the call. Just now, CEO Safra Katz said that due to the company's strong pipeline, she felt confident in raising the CapEx guidance. Something to watch there. So the shares also appear to be moving higher on Oracle cloud growth exceeding the guidance. OCI seen as an AI focused cloud infrastructure player. The 54% year-over-year rise is also acceleration. Prior three quarters between 42 and 45%. But to keep in mind, Oracle has about 2% market share. For context, the number three hyperscaler, Google, has 6% market share. So two main segments here, cloud services and license support beating estimates, cloud and on-premise license, basically in line with the rounding error, according to our team. Same story when it comes to operating margin. Oracle also reported record revenue for the quarter. It's trading about 22 times forward earnings. Analysts I spoke with call this a sleeping giant that offers some AI exposure with growth at an attractive valuation. Melissa, back over to you.
1: All right. Frank, thanks. Frank Holland. Karen, you're remarking that this was a, a pretty solid quarter.
3: It was. I mean, for a couple of things, look at the run of the stock on the way to this quarter, yeah. right? So that was a high bar. And then, I mean, they just showed acceleration, higher sales at a higher pace, right? So and then, of course, there's the funny quote about from Ellison about NVIDIA using their <laughs> their GPU cluster, you know, um, of how much computing power that is. So it's additive to the story. I know you'll hate that, Dan, but I think that. No, it,
4: it is additive. I mean, it's all additive to the story. I, I mean, like so. So, Larry Ellison, the you know the chairman of the company, said they added two billion in incremental, you know, you know, um, cloud. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they just hit $50 billion in revenue. And and so what if this is just a rush in the near term to secure those servers, to secure access to that compute, right, to do all so these sorts forward, of things? I, I just think that we have a lot of potential for that, you know, and I think that there is this kind of mania going on right now. So, um, you know, buy into it. H- have at it. It's, it's working. You know what I mean? It is a momentum trade, but if the fundamentals take hold in the not-so-distant future because the ability to monetize all of that doesn't, like, kind of – you know d- does not show itself for a bit I, you're, you're gonna have a bit of a problem in the stock like this some because- of
1: the commentary is interesting because they they did um, remark about how their customers were cutting costs wisely and so somebody is feeling the pain even though they're still spending on oracle services and maybe services at other software companies
2: we're gonna i'm sure we'll start hearing from those companies that were the unwisely right, right. so but listen valuation you can wrap your head around. We've talked about that for a while for Oracle. So it's not like you're reaching in terms of valuation like you are for some of these companies. And when you hear about 50 percent uh, growth in terms of cloud applications and infrastructure, you that's a big number. You want to nitpick a little bit, operating margins were a tad light. That's the only thing not to like about it. But valuation in this environment something you can actually rationalize. I mean, the stock should go higher and In terms of inls upgrades you saw one i think earlier today you're going to start seeing more and more of these things over the next week Yeah. Uh, yeah
1: 22 times for an ai 22 times forward for an ai play courtney yeah i don't think
0: it's an overly stretched valuation right now but it's definitely part of this ai mania right i mean people are looking for whatever the next big thing is and they're kind of in the right place at the right time where they have extra gpu capacity and that's what people are looking for so i think they'll probably continue to be a beneficiary of this Um, You know, I I don't know if I want to chase these things, but I do think that momentum trade could very well continue.
1: Coming up, we're talking J.P. Morgan as the bank breaches a settlement with the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. Is there still more trouble ahead for the bank? We've got a live report next. Plus, missing the bullseye, target dropping 20 percent over the past month. But is a weakness consumer based or a pushback against, quote unquote, wokeness? The details now look for the stock ahead. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. Back right after this.
8: The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. Together with Delta, we're putting 5G into the hands of ground staff so they can better assist on-the-go travelers with real-time information. From the Delta Sky Club to the Jet Bridge, this is elevating customer experience. This is Delta with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. J.P. Morgan reaching a tentative agreement to settle its class action lawsuit with victims of Jeffrey Epstein. The bank is prepared to pay $290 million to resolve the suit, which is still subject to court approval. For more, let's bring in Eamon Jabbers. Eamon.
8: That's right, Melissa. The attorneys for Jane Doe in this case had been ratcheting up pressure on J.P. Morgan as recently as Friday with a demand that CEO Jamie Dimon and other executives return for additional depositions. seems like J.P. Morgan just really wanted to clear the decks of this case overall, and you can certainly see why. Documents revealed so far in in the litigation showed an embarrassingly close relationship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, with one executive emailing Epstein from a hot tub on his private island and others' brushing aside concerns of lower-level employees about the appropriateness of continuing to do business with him after his conviction. As a benchmark, we know that Deutsche Bank settled a related case with sim- a similar set of facts on this uh, for $75 million back in May. That, this one, uh, obviously much farther north of that. In a statement, J.P. Morgan said, "...the parties believe this settlement is in the best interest of all parties, especially the survivors." who were the victims of Epstein's terrible abuse. Any association with him was a mistake and we regret it. We would never have continued to do business with him if we believed he was using our bank in any way to help commit heinous crimes. Now, a spokesman for the U.S. Virgin Islands Attorney General said, the U.S. Virgin Islands will continue to proceed with its enforcement action to ensure full accountability for J.P. Morgan's violations of law and prevent the bank from assisting and profiting from human trafficking in the future. Now, the settlement really removes what had become a headache for Jamie Dimon. He's one of the most iconic executives in Wall Street, as as you all know, uh, and everybody knows. Uh, When I asked him directly last week about this, if he was going to settle the case, uh, he responded curtly that he just wasn't going to talk about litigation in that moment here in Washington, Melissa. So uh, clearly, uh, one settlement now complete. The question is whether they're going to settle the U.S. Virgin Islands piece of this lawsuit as well. Uh, I've asked both sides whether there are negotiations ongoing to settle that piece of it, uh, and neither side will comment on whether those negotiations are happening, Melissa. Does this
1: preclude uh, future victims from stepping forward to try and extract money from J.P. Morgan? Uh,
8: No. That's a good question. I don't think that it does, but I, I would have to double check sort of where this landed in terms of there being a, a potential class action here and any member of that class in the future. Uh, so that's a really good question. In this case, uh, though, you know, look, the, the email drip, drip, drip continues. U.S. Virgin Islands uh, just filed another tranche of emails this morning uh, showing that people inside J.P. Morgan for years were raising you know, real reservations about keeping Jeffrey Epstein as a client. You can see why the, the bank would want to stop that drip, drip, drip from happening.
1: Yeah. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers. You uh, I'm actually surprised that the case uh, with the Virgin Islands has gone this far with so much revealed, Karen. It's, it's kind mm-hmm. of a very messy case in terms of the emails that have gone back and forth.
3: Yeah, well, there's two separate cases. There's this case, which uh, I'm not surprised. I always thought that they would settle mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. I mean, one, there is the the cost of litigating this, which granted to them, it's just not that much. But it's it is also the cost to, you know, Jamie Dimon and, and Mary Erdos, them, their yeah. staff, their focus, right, their energy. There's the That's a huge distraction. Obviously, it's terrible PR. So in the past, they've settled cases because it's been the expedient thing to do. Mm -hmm. The U.S. Virgin Island case, I I mean, how is the U.S. Virgin Islands not in any way responsible for this? I mean, it's sort of a it's a ridiculous, I think, to make this claim. But I mean, they'll do it anyway because they think there's a pot of money at the end. I I think it's possible they settle that one as well. That one may be, be, I don't know, more contentious. I'm not sure. But this is the right thing for them to do. Yeah.
2: One and a half times um, book value. It's like close to 1.9 times tangible book, which for JP Morgan is not stretched in any stretch, just from that metric. Problem, of course, is I think what type of environment we find ourselves in. Jamie Dimon's been talking about it a while. Be prepared. He doesn't say it's going to happen. Be prepared for 6 or 7% interest rates. So I think he sees a challenging environment moving forward. So banks probably should be trading at a discount to where they are historically. Armchair technicians will say this head and shoulders pattern from about four or five years in the making is still intact. A close above 143, a different conversation. But right now, it's on the verge.
1: Coming up, retail retaliation, a backlash over Target's pride displays growing into a real problem for shares, a big drop over the past month, and if the stock can bounce back, that's next. And setting sales for huge gains, Carnival cruising hires. Analysts say this one could make some big waves, a splash it is making in the options pits as one of the busiest names in today's session. More on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The major averages all finishing the Monday trade solidly in the green. The Dow climbing nearly 200 points. S&P 500 up nearly 1%, hitting a 13-month high in the tech-heavy Nasdaq, leading the gains up more than 1.5%. A number of names hitting historic heights. Boeing, Molson, Coors, and Adobe all touching 52 week highs. Homebuilders DR Horton, Pulte Group trading at all-time highs. And we are watching shares of Microsoft and Activision Blizzard after the FTC officially filed to block the company's combination. Microsoft announced a deal to buy the game maker for more than $68 billion in January of last year. There's a $3 billion breakup fee. In the balance here. In the meantime, Target is posting its lowest close since July 2020. The stock is down 20 percent in just the past month. The company facing backlash and boycotts over its Pride Month collection. But is this weakness truly due to pushback over? Will capitalism or just another sign of a broader spending slowdown? Let's break it down with 2050 marketing founder and CEO Mike Jackson. He's also a former senior marketing executive at Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Coors and General Motors. Mike, great to see you.
7: Good afternoon. Great to see you as well
1: you are very familiar with uh, consumer product companies here. So what what should Target do? What did they do wrong in your view?
7: Well, this is a challenging situation for Target because they've been selling, you know, pride-themed merchandise for over 10 years and and obviously have had very little backlash, uh, whether it be internal or external from consumers. And so it's a tough situation that they're selling in on the heels of everything that Disney went through down in Florida. So I think it's a timing issue. Uh, but ultimately, I think they'll stay, they'll stay too, true to who they are.
1: If you were working with one of these companies that you worked with in the past right now, Mike, would you say read the tea leaves, look at the environment, and stay away from these sort of political battleground sorts of issues or stay the course, be who you are because it's true to your corporate identity? Because there there is a cost associated with doing that, as we've seen recently?
7: Yeah, it's, it's different for every company. But but in Target's case, you know, they've been very accountable, very transparent, and upholding kind of the company's core values. As you guys know, Brian Cornell has done a tremendous job kind of leading that, that, that company. And so in Target's case, I'd say stay true to your values and ultimately be sensitive to the environment that you're selling in. And largely, we're talking about the political environment. But in Target's case, they're well-positioned and need to stay true to their corporate values.
0: Hey, Mike, it's Courtney here, and thanks for joining us. Um, I think when we look at Target, specifically, we look at the last week of May, it was pointed out that there was almost a 15% drop in um, traffic in their stores. And there's really kind of two sides of the story. One is that they have a lot of discretionary items in their stores. And so with inflation kicking in, it's a lot of people who aren't willing to go to Target and spend right now or it's a backlash on some of their pride gear, or is it a combination of the two? I think that's really what investors need to discern against. Is is this a short-term issue, or is this a bigger problem with the economy? And I don't know how much we can discern about that with Target specifically.
7: Yeah, I would think um, it's a combination of the two. Um, Obviously, uh, retail uh, has some challenging parts of of the sector, and uh, discretionary merchandise that Target carries would be kind of high on that list. And then ultimately, they've got a little bit of a tug of war going on, right? Because they've got employees who are literally upset that they pulled the merchandise. And then you had the physical threats going on. And then the huge noise on on the politician side, uh, you know, really going after Target, both on the left and the right. So I think it's a short-term issue. Um, It's obviously been very, very challenging over the last six weeks or so. Uh, but ultimately, I think staying true and, and stand to, you know, on the course that they've been on for the last couple of years would be advisable.
1: Mike, thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate your time. Thank you. Mike Jackson of 2050. Karen, you own Target. So yes, uh, exactly. what do you think is the problem here?
3: I think, uh, like he said, I think it is a combination, although, I mean, some of it points directly to them. Walmart had an OK quarter. They did talk about that trade down that would affect Target mm-hmm. much more so, that discretionary dollar in higher item, higher margin items uh, that Target sells more of. That was bad for Target. This is near a low PE multiple that we've seen in the last, I mean, 2020, of course, was very noisy. But in the last five years, we haven't really seen a PE multiple like this at such a discount also to the market. If I owned none, I would buy it. But I feel a little nauseous with what I currently own. Yeah. In I'm, Target.
1: I mean, if there is, um, you know, a backlash aspect to this, we, right. we I just can... we didn't see it coming or we didn't see it coming in terms of lasting this long for Bud Light. It, it's amazing how, you know, these things have lasted. Usually they would be just a short term sort of blip. They've lasted much longer than a lot of analysts had expected.
2: Landscape has changed without mm-hmm. question. And, you know, There will be networks that run headlines, you know, go woke, go broke. And I get it, it rhymes, it's cute, it's not that cute. But I'll say this, Target's been cut in half since August of 2021. So this stock has had issues long before any of this. Now, this obviously isn't helping. But this isn't the problem with Target. The problem with Target is probably mostly Target-specific. And to Karen's point about valuation, very compelling. The stock does not trade well. Now you're starting to see analysts downgrade. City downgraded the stock today. I think they put a $132 price target or so. You're going to start seeing more people ratchet down because I think the average price target on the street right now is about a 176. So the entire street got this wrong right now.
1: All right. Coming up, cruising higher. Analysts boarding the Carnival trade, sending that stock soaring. So is it all smooth seas ahead? We'll discuss that next. Plus, a charged-up trade, EV charging stocks all ripping higher as a Tesla connector, looks poised to become the industry standard. More details on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Carnival Cruise Line soaring to a new 52-week high today after upgrades from J.P. Morgan and Bank of America. The stock was the second most active single stock on the S&P today. And the options were seeing just as much interest. Mike Coe's got the action. Kind of unusual, Mike, huh?
2: It most definitely is. This is not one of the names we typically see in the top 10 most active single stock options. But it was today, and it traded six times its average daily call volume. And the busiest contract were the August 15 calls? We saw well over 33,000 of those trading for about a dollar 45 a contract. Now, most of that activity was the result of an institutional trader rolling up and out on a bullish position that they entered into in early May. They own the July 11s, but uh, they've already booked substantial profits, and they're betting that there could be at least another 12% upside by August expiration.
1: Wow, twelve percent. Um, you know, it's funny because just before the show, we were just talking about uh, the kinds of vacations we would never want to go on, and Guy specifically okay. said, "Okay, yeah, that's right. Go ahead, <laughs> throw <laughs> me under the bus." No, yeah. well,
2: well, first the the up, for a number it of reasons,
1: you would have uh, said it's not like I'm throwing you under the bus. No.
2: The main reason there. Are, by the way, there are a laundry list of reasons. Sure. The main reason is I can watch Dangerous Catch on the television. You know that show where they catch crab, well, and I will get I will get seasick, uh, deadliest, dead, whatever. I get nauseous on a boat. So you don't want me um, getting sick with the rest of the passengers. That's not a good thing. So I'm thinking of the good of the others. With that said, there's no shot of me getting on even if I didn't (laughs) get
1: seasick. So you don't like cruises, but do you like the stock? Yes, because,
2: I mean, just for for context, though, I mean, this was a 70-something dollar stock in 2018, not that that matters. And you look at it, yeah, it's doubled over the last couple months, but the stock is still extraordinarily depressed. I mean, the chart looks awful. But we've seen stocks like this go from 6 to 15 to 22 in a number of weeks. That's probably what we're on the verge of here. I think they report on June 26th. It probably rallies in earnings.
1: All right more options i thought dan was going to chime in i don't think he yeah. wants to go on a cruise either uh be sure to tune into the full <laughs> show friday 5:30 p.m eastern time thanks mike coming up we are plugging into the charging trade of the ev charger stock soar how tesla's connected to the move ahead and throughout june cnbc is celebrating pride month here's indeed senior vp of esg
0: the lgbtq plus community is not a monolith there's lots of letters for lots of reasons but those letters and identities intersect with race and ethnicity and disabilities. And so really focusing on setting an environment where people feel like they belong, where they feel that safety in being themselves. That is what companies can do right now to make sure that
8: people can show up as their best self.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money, electric vehicle charging companies surging higher today after announcing they will support Tesla's charging connector Blink, ChargePoint and Wallbox, all moving between five to nine percent on this news. And this comes after Tesla announced a new network partnership with Ford and of course before that with GM. For more on the future of EV charging, let's bring in electric editor in chief Fred Lambert. Fred, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. So so basically, NACS becomes a de facto standard. What do the other charging companies have to do? And, and you know, what was surprising—not surprising—but what we saw initially when the Ford and the GM announcements were made was that all these charging companies sold off, and now they've gained back some of those some of those losses. Is it as easy as that? Can they just offer this new technology, and that's that?
9: Yeah, it's a, it's just a connector in itself. So they can—they already were offering several different connectors for a period of time between Shademo and CCS. And then CCS seemed to have won over North America, other than Tesla. Um, so th- it's not—it's nothing too unusual for them to change a connector. And uh, if anything, it, it's a—it uh, um, it was more about the market being a little bit confused about this—the this situation, what was happening. Because uh, overall, it's—it's it's good news for everyone because it now it gives all these charging station operator and manufacturer access to a much bigger market in the EV industry, which is Tesla vehicle, which is the majority of the EV market in North America.
1: Do you have a sense on how Tesla benefits? I mean, I understand that they they opened the NACS technology up to other parties back in November. But do these companies have to manufacture through Tesla? Do they have to license the technology? Do we have any sense of what that arrangement is?
9: So this is the process of making an open standard. So there's not going to be any licensing costs or anything like that. my understanding is that Tesla is prepared to help anyone that's gonna need those connectors. So they're probably gonna manufacture them for them for a period of time, but all of these uh, sta- charging station manufacturer can manufacture them themselves to the connector. So um, on that front, Tesla doesn't benefit much really.
4: So talk to us a little bit about the landscape here. Um, you know, it seems that there's, you know, 20, 30,000 charge point connector, you know, stations around EVgo, you see all the names up there. Um, Is this something that's gonna be very competitive or will it be now somewhat more collaborative now that there's a standard here? And I'm just curious because investors are not running into these smaller cap names thinking that this is gonna be some huge boon for them. And it also doesn't mean that Tesla's gonna run away with this business either because they're a smaller player right now than all of those names combined.
9: So the biggest win is really for the consumer right now. That's going to have one unified standard if everything goes well. Like it hasn't, it's like the unofficial standard right now. Next, but if if it progresses that way, the consumer wins with a unified standard and the design of the plug itself is unanimously known to be just better, easier to handle, and all that. But for for these companies, the uh, now they they will have easier access to this bigger market of uh, electric vehicle owner, which is which are Tesla owners. However, it's not exactly clear just how big of a push is going to be for them because Tesla already was offering uh, adapters for, for, for these owners. So you could choose to m- use the CCS network of these EVgo charge point and, and all that. And the thing is that for the most part, Tesla owners don't use them because the supercharger network is just so much better, more reliable, more uh, it, it, they, uh, are available in more location with more chargers per station. So Really, these um, all these stocks, they're going to have to up their game in, in their charging network in order to get some of that market share from Tesla.
3: That's Karen. Thanks for being on. There's some disgruntled Tesla shareholders, uh, not shareholders, car owners out there who are concerned that with this GM and Ford tie up, that they're going to face longer lines. I know they'll be building more stations, but how do you think that will play mm-hmm. out?
9: Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit messy for the for the next year or two uh, o- until the the markets like settle into this this new NAX being the unified standard. Uh, yeah. But Tesla has the big advantage of having access to a lot of data, so they know exactly how their stations are being used and by whom. And uh, obviously the onboarding new electric vehicles. Those electric vehicles have their own bottlenecks in terms of charge time, so it could uh, re- uh, result in longer wait time at some charging station. But uh, overall, Tesla, it's more business for Tesla, so they're just gonna use that information to deploy more charging station where they need to. Uh, so yeah, it could be difficult for a few years, but I think long-term, it's it's a win for Tesla owners too.
1: Fred, great to speak with you, thank you. My pleasure. Fred Lambert of Electruck
2: Chargepoint shareholders were gruntled today. (laughs) For sure. Nice job. Yeah. Uh, But they've been disgruntled for the last three years. I mean, this stock, if you look at this stock, it was a $50 stock. I mean, it's been upper left, lower right for a while. They lose money. Look at the last quarter. Margins are seemingly deteriorating. I mean, this is an environment where they should be doing well. And quite frankly, they're not.
1: Up next, final trades.
0: trade time. Courtney, uh, XLE Energy has actually been one of your worst performing sectors this year, but it's now one of the cheapest. I think it's worth taking a look.
3: Karen. Along that theme of one of the worst performers for the year, I'm going with Target, which PE multiples is good here. It says wide of multiple spreads it's been with Walmart in the last five years. Dan.
4: Yeah, Pfizer trying to pick its head up above 40. Fun show.
1: Fun, because we're yeah. all we're here all together. Here. It's, it's nice
2: here. when we're together, isn't it? Yeah. A- yeah. mat AMAT. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Warrant its completeness or accuracy And it should not be relied upon as such To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer Please visit cnbc.com Forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer Earning your degree online Doesn't mean you have to go about it alone At Capella University We're here to support you when you're ready From enrollment counselors Who get to know you and your goals To academic coaches Who can help you form a plan to stay on track We care about your success